Hey everyone, welcome to another Lenses Podcast episode. Hey, before we get started, I wanted to just jump in real quick and just say a huge thank you to all of you who have supported the podcast, who listen on a regular basis, or, or if this is your first time listening, thank you also. Um, a huge thank you to those of you who have shared the podcast with your friends. Um, I, I just would love to ask that you continue doing that. If you have a favorite episode, uh, a favorite guest that I've had on, then uh, share that with somebody. Um, if you just like to be surprised by the, the variety of guests that, that I've been having on, and, and let me tell you again, uh, part two of Fitz's uh, episode today is is awesome. I'm so excited to get started on this. So uh, this would be one that I think might, will be really interesting for you and hopefully one you'd like to share as well. Uh, second thing, if I could just ask a huge, huge favor, uh, it makes a big difference in in me growing the podcast. If you go in and you rate me on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts or whether it's Spotify or, or whatever it is, and then also if you leave me a comment, it even goes that much more. Uh, so if you would be so, so very kind to help me out in that way, um, then we will continue to just grow and expand this audience. And let me tell you, I've got some really great guests lined up and a few more that I'm working on hard, fingers crossed, that I think will just be really fascinating and enlightening conversations as well. So again, huge thank you. And let's get started with today's episode. Hey everyone, I want to welcome you to a, a brand new episode of Lenses Podcast again. And, uh, and today I'm super excited to have a returning guest. So this is, this is our first returning guest. Um, and so today we're going to be speaking with Fitz Emerald Fitzpatrick again. And, uh, and you know, the, the first question or the first question, first conversation that, that we had Fitz, uh, was such a good conversation. And I kept saying over and over again, I feel like there's like there's so much more we could talk about. So we're like, let's just do it then, right? Yeah, I had so much fun. Oh, good, like, good. Being in quarantine as an extrovert is pretty terrible and I don't go to therapy all the time anymore. So I don't just get to talk about myself for an hour straight yeah. with someone who really wants to listen, yes. like yeah. ever, like that was great. Yeah, how many opportunities do you get for that? Where somebody sits down and says, just talk about you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, therapy, but you pay for that. This is free. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, just as kind of just a a, a recap, uh, why why don't you just kind of recap, you know, just who you are, the lenses you see through, um, and and that sort of thing for us. Yeah. Well, my name is Fitz Emerald Fitzpatrick. Um, I am a queer and non-binary person. Um, I'm a plus-sized yoga teacher and, and <laughs> a pantheist interfaith witch. Which we are um, talking about today. Which we're going to talk about today. <laughs> I'm a white person. Um, did I get everything that I said last time? I feel yeah, like I I'm think so. Thing. I'm kind of looking. Yeah. And oh, and then the other thing we're going to talk about too um, is, uh, is mental health too. And oh so, yeah. And I yeah. have bipolar 
more, which is super cool and interesting. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, um, that's fantastic. Um, I and I, so I think what an exciting topic to be talking about with mental health issues, you know. But but that's part of your passion too. That uh, that when you wrote me your you know your bio last time that you said is that you're you're super passionate about destigmatizing mental health issues too. So yes, I am. so we do get to have like an exciting conversation about it, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So um yeah, I, I again when you know we we talked about your story and uh your journey of coming out and faith transitions you went through um last time in terms of again your story and um and the hardships that came with that and the the wonderful things that you saw that came of that too. Um, today, I, I'd really like to dive into two specific things that we didn't get to talk about. Um, one is, you know, you know, how how do you even learn about, you know, pantheistic <laughs> interfaith witchery? I don't know. I don't know what the yeah, right way yeah. to say it is. I like witchery. That's a great word. <laughs> and uh, much less become one, right? Um, and then, uh, also again, I want to, I want to kind of dive into, you know, mental health issues and the work that you do with, with transgender youth there too. So, um, but let's, let's start with, let's start with the witch. Okay. Um, first of all, how do you, you see me struggling with the language here? How should I be referring to it? I mean, Witchery is totally fine. I don't think any witch would be upset by that phrase. <laughs> it sounds cool. Um, a lot of witches use use witchcraft to describe okay. their practices. Um, so that's also totally fine. And it's important to note that you'll often hear the word Wiccan go with the word witch. Yes. And so Wicca is a religion and witchcraft is a much broader term to describe a whole bunch of different practices. Like similar to like being non-binary, anyone who wants to identify as a witch pretty much can. Okay. Um, but not every witch practices Wicca, which is a religion, but that's what sort of I think really repopularized the idea of witchcraft in the US Got it. was Got it. the Wiccans in the 70s. Um but, and how I the Wiccans think, practice witchcraft though. Yes. Not all witches practice Wicca, but Wiccans practice witchcraft. That'd yes, be a way. Yeah. Okay. And with, yeah, witchcraft is more about like practices and things you do. And being Wiccan is about what is about your theology, is about what you believe Got in. It. Okay. Um, so you know, like like kind of like how like like Christian is a big oh like overarching Massive. umbrella, but Catholicism yes. is really is is really one part of it, or like communion is a is really one part one part of it. That's a semi-helpful way to think about okay. it. Um, and I learned about witchcraft um, as a wee wee child because my mom's a witch. Um, okay. I think she would still probably self-identify as a witch. I called her. I call her like vaguely Wiccan. Okay. Um, yeah, and like despite me, me and my mom unfortunately have a pretty uh, complicated, fraught, not going very well situation. Mm. But one thing that was really cool about uh, growing up with my mom is my mom. Um, yeah, is that she, uh, she identified, I think as like va- vaguely Wiccan. She was some kind of Wiccan. So I knew that I, I learned of the word, witch is like not a bad word when I was growing up. Like it. it was like this thing my mom did. <laughs> um, and she would cast protection spells around me, um, which was really cute. She had all these really cool <laughs> books on, the, on her, on her bookshelf. 
um, a lot of like Wiccan classics and a lot of like witchcraft classics um, uh, that I was really, I, I would look at um, and pretend to read as a child. Um, and then like Halloween wasn't, wasn't just Halloween for us. Um, my mom it also- meant something. Yeah, it meant yeah. something. Um, and we would always on Halloween, we'd put out, um, we'd put out the uh, favorite food of our, of a relative who was no longer with us. Okay. Um, so like we did that with my aunt Kate when she died when I was a teenager and with my mom's mom, like with both her parents when they passed away, okay. every Halloween she'd put out food on the yeah. porch. Um, and we would talk, we, we would have conversations about like, the veil between life and death being at its thinnest. It was um, really cool experience. My mom had little altars everywhere. She mm. was definitely a really like eclectic interfaith person um, who like borrowed from every culture, probably sometimes in problematic ways, but also sometimes in ways that I think were really enriching for me as a kid. Mm. Um, like she was really into fun, like like she was really into feng shui too, for instance. Um, and then my brother was a Buddhist. Um, he's twelve years older than me. My only blood related brother. I have like hmm. eight siblings, but oh, only wow. one who's yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> I, uh, my dad's gone through a couple relationships with yeah. women who had children already. So um, so yeah, my brother my brother's a Buddhist, and I think he's still a practicing Buddhist. I think he would probably identify it that way. My dad was a recovering Catholic. Right. Um, yes. So he wasn't really From, practicing and I was kind of like assumed he would probably be atheist, but he's not, which I think is really interesting. Hmm. He's a metallurgical engineer. So he's a, he's, he's a big science guy. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. also kind of a spirit, kind of a spiritual guy too. Yeah. So I, I just had a lot of like, uh, I just had a lot of exposure to all sorts of different faith practices growing up. And then when I was a teenager, I saw probably when I was younger than that, when I was like a preteen, I saw the movie, The Craft. Which right. is, I remember this movie. <laughs> which is not like a, <laughs> like an accurate representation of what witchcraft is, but it was like a movie about like sexy teenage girls doing, doing black witchcraft. Right. Yes. And it, it yes. Was very like intriguing. Yes. Um, Exploring their new powers. Yeah. Exploring yeah. their new powers. But there was this whole thing in there about like, um, like the Wiccan, uh, what's called the Wiccan read. The whole storyline was about the Wiccan read and the idea in the rule of three, which is the idea that whatever you put out in the world, it comes back to you times three. That's like Got it. the Wiccan version of treat others the way you want to be treated, except it's more like a threat. It's like, yeah, but it's that's like, so, so you know, interesting though. It's super interesting. Yeah. Um, and then what a, then the I mean, what a power like, check though too. Yes, it is. It yeah. is. So, and the whole movie is that it's like, be careful what you wish for and remember it, it comes back to you times three. And okay. so there's like the witches that don't really respect that and end up really messing themselves up. Right. And then there's the one witch that does, that does respect that and tries to like do good things. Right. And then she's the only one who has her powers in the end. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is the coolest thing ever. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> So, but, um, so that, that was kind of like what I was like up to about 12 years old. Then when I was 12, my best friend informed me that, oh, well, you and your mom are probably going to hell just so you know. And I was like, of course you like, are. Yes. I was like, shoot, really? <laughs> I was like, oh no. Um, Why didn't anybody like, tell me? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, no, yeah, no one told me. Cause like I, you know, I've been to Catholic mass with my grandparents and I thought it was beautiful. Um, like because of the way like a you know, Christian hegemony, like the bad, the bad part of the whole Christian structure exists, like everyone every kid in the nineties who wasn't explicitly like Jewish or, mu- or Muslim just identified as Christian. Yeah. Like, um, like, unless you knew what right. you were, it was right. just like everyone's Christian. Right. So okay, there, I was uh, Christian in that way. I've got it. Just be- before we go on, when you, when you talk about attending Catholic mass with your grandparents, I have to wonder though, with, with you being so exposed to uh, witchcraft from your mom, books, understanding spells, you know, the, and you didn't say this, but I'm going to insert incantations because I, I think that's part of it too. Right. So some yeah, incantations yeah, totally. and totally it, can be. there's, there's probably part of you as a young child going into Catholic mass and hearing different words used, but seeing similar kinds of practices, you're re- repeating yes. phrases, you're talking about the, yes. the blood of Christ, you know, you know, protects yeah. you the, I mean, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, that that might not have been so weird for you. You're just kind of like, oh, yeah, no, a, this is a different thought, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, I thought, I mean, I thought the songs were boring, but everything else I really loved. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I like the like the buildings were be- were beautiful. Like the like there's this whole ritual around it. Um, Sacred I still, spaces. I still love yeah. Catholic masses and I still love like. I still love going to like Christian services that kind of honor that like cool mm. ritualistic part of things. Right. Like right. I still think that stuff is really cool. And I like a big joke I make all the time that like it, it's, it's the joke I say to test like whether someone's on my level or not, which sounds really douchey. <laughs> but like, if I joke about like, a Christian friend being like, Oh, what a great spell you did. Like this job doing your, doing your Jesus spell. If they get super offended, then I'm like, Oh, okay. We're not going to work. Are we? (laughs) But like, I do that with Danielle all the time. And uh, my really good friend, Danielle, that you were also really good friends with. And we, and we made a whole poetry duet off of that idea. So. (laughs) Ah, got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So absolutely. That is a thing. Um, Okay, yeah, sorry, so, I, inter- I interjected there. Can continue. No, no, thank you. Keep doing that. Um, so yeah, my best friend was like, "Oh yeah, you might be going to hell," and I was like, "Well, shoot, you should definitely like give me some more information about this. Like, right. I want to be on. I want to be on board. Like, hell doesn't sound great." And she was like, "Well, you have to love God to like not go to hell." And I was like, "I love God so much. I talk to God all the time, like every day. I prayed all the time." Yeah. Um like just like as a kid like to me like as a kid there was no question that god existed i was just always like yeah god exists and you talk to god that's just the thing that you right, do right um it, it did it, was, it wasn't even about jesus really it was just like yeah it's the thing that everyone does right um and she and she was like no you have to like really love god like let me like let me take you to my youth group and they will explain it to you got it <laughs> so then i went to her youth group and it was free pizza night which was wonderful. <laughs> I was excited. Um, and uh, it only took me going to that youth group like two or three times before like I was totally on the evangelical boat. And part of that was that like, like the, like the ritual around it was really cool. And it was like, you know, it was one of those youth groups that played like 
Christian rock and roll music. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ, like, like Christian teen pop. It was all Hillsong United songs. You know, <laughs> you probably know what I'm talking about. Drew yeah, I don't, want, I don't want to admit that about. right now, but yes, very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I love the... I loved the music and then they were <clears throat> and they were telling me about like you know G- like Jesus loving me no matter what and I was like well that's really cool and I picked up the bible before and I had like like read it a little bit but there was always something in there about like like oh but you're a sinner mm. that and I was always like I don't like that that doesn't sound nice <laughs> and so I'd shut it and I'd put it away and be like never mind guess not right um but this church really got me. And part of that was that like my, like my parents were divorced at this time. I was only seeing my dad like Thursdays and every other weekend. And my mom was really struggling with her drinking and was really just not, not doing great in the mom department. And Mm. suddenly there was all these people who didn't even know me and they loved me for like no reason at all. And I was like, Whoa. And they were really nice to me. And the songs we sang were be- like were beautiful, and they seemed so happy and to have this incredible community. And man, like I still say, like no one does like a like a Christian spiritual experience like like evangelicals or like mm. Pentecostals. Mm. Like you, when you go into one of those rooms where like everyone is on board and like gets yeah. the energy and is like ready to be like wide open to receive whatever there is like it was really beautiful um so after like two or three times going there you know at the end of every one of their services they'd be like you know who wants to accept jesus as your lord and savior and so it was like me yeah Um, so i did the whole thing now Um, would you say that you you had like this huge mental shift that brought you to that place or or was it like, I so want to be a part of this group and this is what you do to be a part of the group. It was like an instinct, which is always how I've gone with any spiritual practice I've picked or gone toward. It's just something in me is like, you have to do this. Mm. Like, and it, it, it was just this, like, I just felt so moved by what they were saying and so moved by the story. And mm. like, yeah, that I, I, I just was like, like, there's just something in me said, right, like raise your hand. And I, Got so it. I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think there was a lot, I think if I had been like, not such a lonely kid, I would have had a lot more questions, but I'm, I'm not, I'm usually like dive in, ask questions later. Yeah. That's kind of been my thing. <laughs> um, which I definitely did as a 12, as like a 12 year old child. Yeah. Um, and they gave me, and then like someone, like these like two really, really pretty girls with really, really pretty, pretty hair were like, come downstairs with us. We're going to pray with you and give you a free book, which was the Bible. Right. <laughs> it was like a teenage study Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah um, and so, and you know, we did the whole thing and, you know, so much of it reminded me of like, it was just this really beautiful ritual, but it was a ritual that had so much substance to it. Cause everyone mm. just believed it so hard. Um, yeah. and then I, I think I read all four gospels in like one week. I like just tore it open. I was like, yeah, yeah I want to learn all this stuff. And I just hopped all the way into it. Um, and like, and like the, so like the mental shift really came like after that. And then I was like the most annoying evangelical kid on earth. Like yeah. that kid who like had to bring up 
Jesus is your Lord and Savior at every dinner ever. Right. To the point that my parents, both my parents, my two divorced parents went to the same church with me because it was the only way they could connect with me. I got them to go to church. Uh, my mom did the whole thing that I did. My dad kind of maybe roughly like did a really? similar. Really? Yeah. So like yeah. I got, I managed to evangelize my entire family is what I'm saying. Mm. Except my brother who was in Thai, who was in Thailand and he knew better. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so my whole family was a part of this church. Um, and I was completely on board with it. I wanted to grow up to be a youth pastor. Mm. Like I was all in, all in. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and I told, you know, I told the story last time about like, uh, when I, uh, came out and started dating a girl. Right. And she was in like, the church also, same church. She, not the same church. Okay. She was at a Presbyterian church. It was okay. a little more reasonable, but still conservative. Okay. But so this was like a, like a non-denominational charismatic, you know, be like the exact, it was culty to be perfectly honest. It was Got a little it. culty. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and like really when like things started crumbling was when I, I mentioned last time when my aunt died, when my, um, when my aunt Kate, uh, committed, su committed suicide. Hmm. And that was a, that was, a, that started the crack in hmm. my, in my faith because not, not just because something so terrible could have happened to me and like, why didn't God help her? Yeah. But it was also that like no one could really give me an like give me an an answer as to whether she was in heaven or not, and that's horrible as oh, a like within 14, your church. No, yeah. yeah, nobody wanted to address the if you die because of suicide, where yes. do you go? Question. Yes, they were yeah. like, well, maybe she, like maybe she prayed right at the end or something. was um i think at least on and off mm. a devout christian like she had her own relationship yeah. with jesus for sure as did pretty much you know everyone on my dad's side of the family this yeah. irish catholic family um that was rough and it was just that and the other thing that was hard was just that like ev everyone was just like telling me to pray and no one wanted to actually listen to how bad the pain was mm. Like no one could really understand. And it was, there wasn't an easy black and white evangelical answer to my problem. So therefore no one wanted to really talk about it. And it was like, you know, they would like lay hands on me, but nothing would happen. I'd still be grieving my aunt. And instead of like, someone explaining to me how grief works and like all of that stuff it was just it was like there was something wrong with me like yeah. I didn't have enough faith and that's why I was grieving so hard that that was the real crack in the whole thing. Um, and then when I came out that, you know, they, as I mentioned last time, my best friend, the same best friend who told me I was going to hell, who got me in <laughs> Got you in the church in the first she place. She apologized about this like years and years later, <laughs> like, and we're Facebook friends now, but man, yeah. that was a rough year for her. Yeah, uh, yeah, in terms yeah. Of choices. Um, 
And so, and they, you know, they told me, you know, pray, like pray the gay away, or you can't be um, a part of leadership and use leadership and stuff anymore. And I walked out. And after that, I like definitely, well, like the really sad thing is that like, when I walked out of the church that day, I felt like, I felt like Jesus didn't want me anymore. Mm. There was like, a part of me, despite how real I felt that relationship was, there was a part of me that was like, oh, Jesus was their person and like, isn't, isn't going to be with me anymore. Like being caught he was off attached in to the building somehow. Like yeah, you, you was, walk out and then the you, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like, if I don't have this community, it's just not going to be the same. And that's true. Like, you know, that, I mean, it was a betrayal. I was just hugely betrayed by my family basically. Mm. Um, and I, I was kind of left out in the cold, mm. like as a teenager trying to explore what it meant to be queer um, and like barely starting to acknowledge like all the gender stuff that was coming up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I definitely I tried other churches. Um, the one place that was really a wonderful little refuge for me was Bethany Presbyterian, which is where a lot of the <laughs> a lot of the gays that have been hurt by the evangelicals go. Oh, really? Um, OK. Yeah. Um, so I spent some time there. And then really when I got into college, I went through a pretty intense atheistic period, um, which is just what happens when I get depressed. <laughs> yeah. Like not that like all atheists are depressed, but when I'm an atheist, it means I'm depressed. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but also in co- like in college after kind of going through that, I, um, after I had been out, as queer for a while and um was in a kind of more stable relationship i kind of started to explore like the old me stuff again like the pre-evangelical interests i got really interested into what i'd been interested in as a teenager yeah yeah so for so a while can I, I can i say can, at, yeah. or just comment on something else and yes, then you can please. so it, it, it's interesting to me to hear you talk about your, and I'm going to call it a conversion experience into Christianity. Yeah. Cause that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of the Christian story is converting to Christ. Right. Yes. Um, yes. And so um, it's so interesting to, to hear you talk about all of that because you talk about it like, and even just watching your face while you're, while you're telling that story, like you're so fond of that whole experience and whole memory. I mean, is that accurate? Is that? Yeah. Because only, only recently. Okay. Only recently. Okay. That's that. I would love to hear a little bit about that because, you know, when I hear yeah. about the, I mean, the trauma that was, you know, that you went through because of, uh, again, being betrayed by your by your Christian family when you came out um, and in saying, Hey, you either conform or you don't have anything to do with us anymore. Right. Yeah. And then when you said, I-, I can't conform, this is who I am. They're like, okay, see ya. Okay. I mean, that's intense. That's so intense. How do you maintain any kind of fondness for any part yeah. of that? Yeah. And I didn't for a long, long time. Okay. I didn't. Okay. Um, the thing that really changed, um, and I have been, you know, not identifying as Christian for a really long time. I think one thing that helped is that that church do- doesn't exist anymore. Hmm. Unf- really, unfortunately, and incredibly creepy, 
thing happened, which was that my, the pastor of that church passed away. Um, and shortly after that, the church crumbled. Well, the date I found out that he passed away was the same day that I decided that I made a concrete decision to like get back into witchcraft. Oh, wow. Yeah. The creepiest, the creepiest timing in the world. Um, and he, and he passed away in a motorcycle accident and he had bought that motorcycle with church money. Like the church raised money for him to have this motorcycle. So there's a whole story of corruption there. So I, I think the fact that that place doesn't exist and isn't hurting people anymore, that helps a little bit, but really what helped me, um, is that last year after being fully into my like yoga, witchcraft, tarot, pantheist world, um, my really good poet friend, Katie Shedlock, um, was start, uh, started up this church, um, called, uh, creator's table and it's in West central. They meet, or they meet at a church in, in West central. And she, she asked me, um, if I wanted to teach yoga during this special part of their service that they were starting to do, which is sort of like, they have like all these little stations you can go to at this. It's called open space. That's what it's called. Open space. Hmm. So she paid me to teach it open space to teach yoga. And wow. I was like, wow, what? You're going to have me teach yoga at a Christian service, knowing that I come from this super like witchy part of yoga too. I like, yeah. I, I was taught in, the kundalini tradition which is a very witchy tradition of yoga yeah um and i was just like wow that's super cool and so i went there to this place and i taught yoga and the way people embraced me there was so cool and Mm. it was like you know like katie had already known about my like my pronouns and everything from the start so um, her and the other pastor who I'm close to, and yet his name is blanking me right now. Um, <laughs> this is a Chris constant problem me for me. So Jonathan, I'm not, Jonathan, okay, oh good, God, good. Jonathan, I wasn't so going to hold it against you. <laughs> um, but yeah, both Katie and Jonathan were so respectful of me and open to me and the community was really open to me and they were interested in yoga. They were interested in meditation. Um, and the way they preached was of version of the Bible that I had never known before, which was like, they really hold everything in historical context. Mm. They really talk about Jesus as a social justice figure Mm. and like talk about the Bible, like talking about the Bible and it's full, like cultural splendor is so much more interesting than like the watered down black and white evangelical version that I, that I was fed like watered down white evangelical version. white evangelicals so, oh, <laughs> no jesus black. was a blonde white man in yeah that there's really no sure. black in the evangelical jesus that's <laughs> yeah so um so it was really at creator's table because i was like and i i was fully um open about the fact that i was non-binary i was fully open about the fact that i was a witch um and they they did not care they mm. loved it they were like mm. that's awesome tell us more and Um, I started going there a little bit more regularly. I always loved like that ritual of having somewhere to go on Sunday. Mm. That was like a place you go to dress up to be with other people who want to like dig into the guts of life, you know? Um, and kind of similar to what happened, um, when I like converted originally when I was saved, um, quote unquote, (laughs) uh, it was like right after my cat died. 
my cat Tigger, who was my childhood cat, mm. and she was my familiar, mm. <laughs> my familiar in, in my in my witchery. Yeah. She would always sit like sit next to me or sit on my lap while I was meditating or doing spells and stuff. Mm. So she passed away, and I went to like a uh, like a new agey little festival that was happening downtown, and I got like a tarot card crystal reading about my cat dying which was really weird because I didn't I didn't like go and tell telling her oh my cat died just the stuff that came up was like about mm. her yeah and I took this little vial of crystals this like witchy woman gave me and I took it to creator's table because I was teaching yoga um and then they and then there was just something in me that day that was like you should take communion which mm. I hadn't done um, in a long, long, long time. And yeah. And like in the, you know, different denominations do communion differently, but they're definitely like a place that's like, whoever wants this come and get it, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, like, I just realized that, that, that part of me that still had a relationship with G- with Jesus was still there. And that part of me wanted to be expressed too. And it was just like, Hey, you should stand up and take communion. And I was like, yeah, I should. Hmm. Um, And it was after that, that I was really able to start looking back on the really, I guess, starting to like take ownership for the parts of my spiritual story that were mine and realize that like, you know, you mentioned, like, I felt like Jesus was in that building. And I was like, no, like that's Hmm. crap. Like they don't get to take, that part away from me and you know I joke now about being like spiritually polyamorous I'm, I'm like I still talk to Jesus and we have an arrangement and it's fine <laughs> and like because of everything that being a Christian means and like everything associated with that word like I I still I still can't I still don't feel like I identify as a Christian especially because like that just people have a certain understanding of what that means. Yeah. And it doesn't really fit what my understanding of what my relationship to Jesus is like. Mm. And I don't like, I don't really study the Bible much. I don't like pray all the time anymore, but I have noticed that like, G- like Jesus is like my patron saint of safety that when I feel like I'm in danger in physical danger, Jesus is the first person who I think about. Mm. And like the first thing that comes to mind to pray to pray to. And I think that's powerful. Mm. And I just, so with, Christianity, I've just realized that like what other people say about my relationship to that, like that doesn't matter. It's about those instincts that I have, like that instinct as a 12 year old to raise my hand and get involved in this church. It wasn't bad. I, I like, I learned what like spirituality could do for you at that place. Mm. And I did amazing things at that place and like brought people into deeper relationship with themselves and with their spirituality and like taught kids about conditional love. Like I did cool things there mm. and learned cool things there Yeah, that helped me be a better witch too. <laughs> Weirdly okay. Enough. So <laughs> I'm sitting here going, yeah. I ask you about being a pantheistic, you know, uh, interfaith witch. And we have an extensive conversation about evangelical Christianity. <laughs> I know. <laughs> how, so, how is this so all tying I together? I mean, where's the, where yeah. the, yeah, how, how do you go from, from all that you just said that it, it helped you become a better witch? Where does that happen again? Where that, where it, like yeah. you shift back around and you say, okay, back in touch with this again. 
and yeah. this is where you are today. How does that happen? Yes. Yes. Um, and the, yeah, the creator's table story, like I was already fully back in it then. Um, Got it. But, okay. Yeah. 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 So, so it happened a few different times. Um, the first time it happened was like in college when I was like finding myself again, um, yeah. as like, you know, being out, being queer, being a feminist, all these things. And I just got really interested in all the stuff I used to be into again. Mm. Um, so it kind of started there. And then I don't know, my, like, my like spirituality brain, just, it kind of just went up and down. And part of that uh, would be the undiagnosed bipolar that I had going on. <laughs> so depression me couldn't imagine that God could ever exist, um, that any kind of divinity existed yeah. and that we weren't just yeah, all yeah. living in like random, terrible chaos. Um, and then manic me was like, I am a powerful witch and the <laughs> gods are listening to me. Look at me. Yeah. Um, so that was really what my spirituality was really tied up in. Um, so like I, you know, decided to get back into Wicca at first. Um, so I was like actually like working with uh, meditating on praying to individual gods and goddesses and stuff. Mm. Um, my witchcraft, I feel like really centered around um, the idea of forging my own path and setting my intentions and, I think of it as like me, me speaking to the universe and saying what I wanted and like, you know, uh, uh, imposing my will onto the universe. So that's like really what my witchcraft looked like in my twenties. Mm. Um, and it was a lot of like weekly rituals often on like Saturdays or Sundays. Cause that's what I was like used to. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And like doing spells that I would find in books and on the internet. Um, and I was, you know, and I was really into the aesthetics of all of it too. I got into like crystal healing and I got back into yoga and all, it, it, it's kind of just been this like weird constellation of all these things. Mm. Um, and then what happened is when I got really, really, really sick in 2017, um, I, my spirituality took like a real nosedive mm. because um, I sort of had a, paranoid episode when I was hypomanic, um, in which I was convinced basically that like God or karma or something was after me and was making me sick on purpose. Mm. And that if I didn't like, if I didn't atone for my sin, it was so much like guilt coming up in this, but like, but basically my like bad mixed episode of bipolar where I was like hypomanic and depressed at the same time, converged into this terrible paranoid episode in which I could have sworn at the time that like karma was punishing me for like past mistakes. Mm. And that if I, and that I was eventually going to have to leave my boyfriend and leave town for this to stop, for this to go away. So yeah. I was crazy at the time. That was me just full, full fledged wrong meds, crazy. Mm. Um, and it took, it was like a good, like six months after that where I couldn't do any spiritual practice at all. Hmm. Um, and at my, I felt it, it was, it was really weird. Like at the same time that I felt totally paranoid that some kind of divine force was out to get me. I also felt like divinity couldn't exist at all. Cause I was in that really intense depressive hmm. state. Um, so like 
it took me like six months before I could even meditate again, which was just something I did for my mental health too, beyond my spirit, beyond my spirituality. And then I think where, when I finally like lit up the witch torch again, uh, was when I found this yoga studio. (laughs) I found this yoga studio. Uh, they're called the Spokane Yoga Shala. And they were doing, they were doing a yoga teacher training there. And it was, I had been working really hard on my, on my mental health, getting into a more stable place in therapy and with medication. And I finally started to feel like, okay, it's been like eight months. I think I can maybe start thinking about spiritual stuff again, like wherever that leads me. Um, and, but I, I was really scared about it and I was really, because of that experience, I kind of felt like my spiritual brain got hijacked by my mental illness and just like ruined me on, on everything. Um, but I had this instinct to do this teacher training. Um, and I, I, I was just fin- finishing a political organizing jobs and applying to grad school. And it was the, per- it, it was just the perfect time. It was like really synchronistic. Um, and I, that was where I learned about Kundalini yoga And I just started doing all of my little old practices again. I started meditating and doing little rituals. But what's really shifted is that yoga, like that all paths of yoga are like so much more about listening than they are about imposing your own will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that like really finally, like I feel like shifted me into a really positive direction with my witchcraft stuff. Um, because it wasn't just about, it wasn't about like me saying, this is what I want. It was about me listening, which was so about like what my Christianity was about, was about listening, listening to what I'm supposed to like, where I'm supposed to be. But what's different is that instead of thinking that God is, God is this like person-like figure who's outside of me as a pantheist, I see that divinity is in everything and expressed in everything and like now my witchcraft is really about like really figuring out where my higher self is and finding my path and like doing really deep listening. And I've realized that when you kind of, that when you do that, when you stop thinking like, what do I want? And you start thinking like, what do I want on like a really deep level, like a soul level, like things just start falling into place mm. in a way. And that to me, that's what spell work is now is and you know that deep lit that deep listening takes place it can be meditation I do a lot of tarot cards I do I do yoga practices um and that so that's kind of where that's kind of how yeah so when you say when you say that's where like spell work is involved um you know I I of course have the Hollywood Halloween version of right. what a what right. it is for a witch to cast a spell yes um how is that part of your uh, discovering your higher self? How how does how does that work yeah. together? Yeah. So, I I think of spell work is really just a fun spooky word for intention setting. Um, but we put a lot of bells and whistles around it, depending on what culture you come from, what religion you come from. You know, there are Christian witches like Santeria is a whole area of Latinx, like Christian folk magic. Mm. So like they use Psalms as spells and stuff, which is cool. So like, for me, it's about when I did like spells, I would usually write an intention down on paper. Um, and I would 
set it on fire and throw it into a little burn bowl and just watch it and just like be thinking that intention to myself. Mm. So it, it, it can be as simple as that, or you can like follow a whole path of mm. magic that exists from a particular culture where all the spell work is really specific. Um, there's a whole, there's a whole big world. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for me now it's more, it's more about like really deep listening first and then when I figure out what, like, what the thing is, like, oh, this is the thing I'm supposed to be doing. So here's what I want to do with that today. Mm. Like, just thinking to myself, like, whatever that intention is, um, you know, and like, for like, you know, part of that was like, fine, figuring out that I wanted to be a counselor, um, yeah. you mm. know, like figuring out how to use my gifts to like, better the world and stuff. Like, yeah, so like, my spell work used to be really... I don't want to say selfish, but self-focused, just like, this is what I want. Here's right. a fun yeah. rhyme yeah. and the thing a book told me to do and I'm going to do it. Right. And now it's more about like, about like what, like, what can I give and how can I express the divinity around me the best way I can? But that's any spiritual journey through maturity, it is. isn't it? I mean, I don't care yeah. what practice you're involved. It, it always starts off with a, a self-centric kind of focus. And yeah. then as you grow in it, it grows to an outward focus. I mean, healthy yeah. spirituality, I would say. There's a lot that doesn't, but healthy spirituality. Yeah, that, yeah. And that's like, for me, like, that's what pantheism is about. It's about what we have in common. Mm. And like, to me, like, every little religious piece that I found along the way, and this is why I'm so fond of my, like, Christian moment now, mm. uh, is because, like... I know that each of those pieces were a part of the path that I'm supposed to be on. And even though like, I don't have any logical reason for there being a path. I just know, like in the deepest way I know. And so now when I see, I used to like feel really defensive around Christians and really judged and really icky. Even if a Christian person was totally welcoming um, because of my own religious trauma and stuff which I also went to therapy for. So it's not just that I have this realization. I did work in therapy. I used to be really defensive, but now I'm like, no, that person's on their path. And like, Jesus is the right thing for them. And like, this thing is the right thing for them. Yeah. And not that like, I mean, certainly religions can be bad. (laughs) Like you can take them in a bad way, but now I, I really see every person as being on the path that they're supposed to be on. Mm. And now I can see that as beautiful instead of seeing that, as an affront to me. Like I feel more secure in my path and I'm like, I've had the conversations with my divinity over here in my corner. I know what I'm doing. Like, so now I feel like I can actually, I can let it exist. Like I, I can fight the icky things about certain versions of Christianity. And I can also like fiercely defend the things that I found so beautiful. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So with your, um, with your mental health and um, with this place that you're in, which it sounds like you're feeling like confidently healthy in this spiritual place right now. Yeah. Yes. Um, so it, do you work hard on your mental health so that you can be free to pursue your spirituality and, and, and experience all that you experience of it? Or is it an, an absolutely vital piece of, of 
of also promoting your mental health and 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 helping your mental health. Does that yeah. make sense that what I'm yeah, asking the difference great, there? Okay. That's a great question. Um when I started my grad program, I did some I did a couple of research papers on existential psychology and like positive existential psychology and that whole like vein of counseling and really like what we know from positive psychology is that like having some kind of spirituality, even if you're an, if you're an atheist and that means like believing in humanity, like it's, we, we know it's good for you. We know that having connection to something bigger than yourself and your tiny little body and your tiny little brain, we know that it's good for you. Um, so I knew that on like a scientific level. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then it was just kind of a matter of like, like I said, like following those instincts and like allowing them to grow. So it's kind of both, mm. um, which like, I want to make sure I take my meds. Cause if I don't like, I could have like a paranoid religious delusion <laughs> again. And that would, and that would be traumatic and ruin yeah. my, like ruin my experiences. But also when I'm not meditating or practicing gratitude or doing tarot if, if, if I don't do anything in the spiritual realm or journaling whatever it is like if I don't do that for long for long enough I start to feel bored and I start to feel depressed and I start to feel okay. disconnected so I think it's, so it's inherently become an necessary active for me. part of your mental health journey yes um, yeah and yeah, yeah I get I understand that that's that's awesome um so for you now you're you're just based on, on what you were talking about in your, you know, in, in, in your pursuits in school for, you know, for therapy, um, and in your volunteer work that you do, you know, with, um, with young transgender teens, youth, you yeah. know, uh, it, it sounds to me very much like your mental health journey has become, um, just like your spiritual journey, less self-centric and, and more balanced to also include what you're what you're doing for others in this like looking out yes. more as well um yes. so it, again is that is that kind of in parallel with your with your spiritual transformations too in your yes. or your spiritual journey i'm going to say right. rather than transformations your spiritual journey that your your mental health journey has kind of progressed in the same kind of way and and that's why you're you're passionate about about working with with trans youth or, or yeah, talk, right. talk about that a little bit. It's interesting because originally those things were very separate because I think especially because the church that I was a part of was so homophobic and so transphobic. Mm. So I saw embracing my sexuality and my trans identity as being inherently against that part of my spiritual journey so uh, for a while I'd really like divorced my spirit like my spiritual self from my social justice self and like when my wow. even when okay. my spiritual self had like taken a nosedive or like I was in I for whatever periods that I was kind of an atheist um I still really worked towards social justice and part of that is that like uh atheists were amazing about accepting me like from the get-go yeah. in terms of being, yeah. yeah they were they had no they had nothing standing in their way in terms of accepting me yeah. as like a queer person which was really cool so i was around a lot of atheists and so i saw that like 
social justice didn't have to be a part of a religion. And sometimes I wondered like if, like if they were in antithesis to each other, but here's what's very different about my social justice work as a spiritual person versus when I was pretending that I was not spiritual anymore. Um, and that's hope. Mm. I used to, I, I've always, since I was a little kid, felt like I needed to fight for justice for anyone who needed it, including myself, that I needed to do the right thing. I always had that. I didn't recognize that as a spiritual value, but it is at the time. I, I've always had that. But when I've been really in the depths of the darkness, my social justice work suffered because I was like, we, we can't win. There's no one, there, there's nothing out there that is on our side that's fighting for us and that wants us to succeed. Like mm. we're fighting like the ickiest, biggest corporate overlord situation, like, ugh, like that's how I would feel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. now like fully embracing my spirituality, I'm like, no, there is a force that cares and that force is caring through me because I care like clearly like I am an example oh, of that wow. hmm. and like like there's always a reason to hope and like spirituality isn't about logic it's so much about instinct and there's a hope instinct there too like hmm. there may not even be a logical reason to hope and that no longer matters to me because like hope is like a mm -hmm. it's like a spiritual value for me so I feel like my work is really enriched and now i re now i realize they are the same and that my social justice work is my spirit is yeah, my spiritual yeah, work yeah and that they're not different because especially because like doing anything where you feel like you're working towards something greater than yourself gives helps give you that sense of yeah. spiritual center so I, I used to think they were really different but now i realize that they're totally one in the same and that embracing the fact that i am a spiritual creature despite my best efforts to not be just makes my work better. I, it's so funny when you say that um, spirituality isn't intellectual. I, I, <laughs> I think of... I think of my past self absolutely having a conniption fit over that statement. <laughs> yeah. I can think of other people that I know that would absolutely lose their mind hearing that statement, you know? Yeah. And at the same time, having a conversation, you know, with my, my barber getting my hair cut today, having a, having a, he's a practicing Buddhist and having a conversation with him about how, what, attracted me to a certain sect of Christianity for so many years of my life was yeah. this deep intellectualism, just this, the ability yeah. to just crush opposition with, with words. Right. Mm -hmm. And how, when there was this moment in time when my wife and I um, got a glimpse of someone who was living that to the, to the fullest extent and just a God awful person, you know? <laughs> and we're like, if yeah. this is where that line of thinking is taking us, yes. man, we are on the wrong boat, right? We're, right. we're, we're, uh, we're just, we're in the wrong direction here. There's something broken about this. And, yeah. and, and from my experience in that, seeing that 
the more intellectually based you become in your pursuit of spirituality, the less spiritual you become. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think think that might be a thing. And it's like, and it's not that like being an intellectual is bad. And it's, it, cause like that's a part of me too. I'm like such an academic. I'm in grad school and I'm having a grand old time like yes. writing research papers and memorizing the DSM five. <laughs> like I'm having a great time doing that stuff. It was just that like, I had told myself there was like, 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 Oh, there's like, there's objective truth and either this exists or it doesn't. And when I let go of that, I was just like, Oh, it doesn't have to be like that. It just doesn't like, that's just not how our brains work for one. Well, and I, and I think it, it too has to do with that, a lot of Christian intellectualism focuses and forces you into this binary funnel. Yes. Right? And so there that's is only this or there is that. Or there is that, yeah. And that's it. So where are you? You know, <laughs> what side yeah. are you on? Right? Um, oh, that is so a thing that what side, yeah, what side are you on? I yeah. Feel like it's yeah. And I so, think that's a question that is dominating like every Christian denomination right now is struggling with that yeah, question yeah. in one form or another. Yeah, because we, of course, we see it today, you know, playing out in, you know, uh, conservative right wing evangelical politics. We mm-hmm. see it playing out in, you know, uh, I won't say Black Lives Matter because all lives matter. You know, we see it, but, you know, we see it playing out in, in I'm not, you can't make me wear that mask. <laughs> Yeah, um, whatever it's, it is, it's it like, does feel like there's like a cross section there of like Christianity that is so weird to me. Yeah, I mean, except except that I lived in it, and I know I'm like, man, those people that I went to church with, if they like, if we were all still in that church, that's probably what our pastor would have been saying. Like, yeah. I can you know, totally see how that, that plays out. But this is, you know, when you when you talk about, you know, the. Um, you know, trying to trying to understand everything to its, you know, on a again from that binary kind of position, that that what you what you kill is you kill mystery, you you yes. kill the yeah. um, the the ability to accept the unknown, you you uh. kill the and, and which again is is. It, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I was a hardcore fundamentalist, evangelical, conservative, right wing political Christian. I mean, I, I, I was, I lived it for so many years of my life. I yeah. preached it. I was good at it, you know? Oh yeah. And there was no, yeah. there was no embrace of, of the unknown. There was no of embrace. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and when I started to have that lens challenged and to where I had to start, you know, I was kind of forced through some circumstances to begin being a little bit more open. All of a sudden I, it was, I was flooded with all of the potentials out there. Well, what if, oh, yeah. what if more is good than is not, you know, right? <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Anyway. I didn't mean to preach at you. This is a no, this podcast great. is for you to talk. And here I am just like, Bruh. but you no, like, but, but that, you, I well, want that, you to know you like sparked something in me there. You're like, that's yeah. Awesome. yeah, I'm, I'm glad. Um, and you know what, that, 
this conversation on on ambiguity reminds me of my of my intensive outpatient program when mm. I was in like you know when that I started in uh, the beginning of 2018 um, and finished toward the beginning of 2019. Yeah. After getting a couple of diagnoses, I got my bipolar diagnosis, which I still have. And then I also got a diagnosis, which I no longer qualify for, but I think it's important to talk about, which is borderline personality disorder. Mm. So it's one of the most stigmatized disorders you can have. It's one of like, like people that get labeled with BPD are like some of the most hated individuals, like, which is super unfortunate because like I went to therapy with all of them and so many of them were incredible people Mm. who were just like, who had been through so much trauma and I learned so much from them. Um, but, uh, so our program was based in what's called dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a, uh, it's kind of an offshoot of cognitive behavioral therapy. And it was the story around, it's really cool. It was an uh, invented, discovered, created by Marsha Linehan, who was a woman who had borderline personality disorder so severe that she had been institutionalized for a decade. And then- yeah. And after yeah. her spirit, like her spiritual journey, I think with like B- Buddhism and stuff and being and uh, that she like got her PhD in psychology and created this therapy for people like her, people who the system had said were too, were, were too sick to ever be cured. Mm. Turns out BPD is one of the most curable things like mental illnesses you can have, which is cool. Mm. So D- DBT is all about learning to live with contradictions and learning to <laughs> accept yourself and change yourself that doing the same do doing the two wow. things wow. at the same time so the whole my whole therapy program there was about ambiguity and like sitting in the fact that you don't wow. have the answer to everything and that sometimes our efforts to get all the answers really shoot like really shoot ourselves in the foot and like create more problems than they solve which is fascinating like i think the the like the question that gave me the worst existential crisis of my life when i was really depressed was just that like how can god let bad things happen like why does suffering exist yeah like that's not a question you can like answer to be perfectly honest it's just not and like at some point you have to like, let the, I don't know, just sit there and be like, maybe I'll figure it out eventually. Maybe I won't, but mm. I'm uncomfortable and that's okay. Yeah. I'm going to try to move with my values instead of trying to solve the problem all yeah. the time. Mm. That's so good. So there's like a whole like area of therapy that is just about like what you're talking about that yeah. you've been going through with your journey. And I think that's like, and, uh, finding some kind of spirit, spiritual self is also a part of DBT. It doesn't have to be religious. Um, it can, you know, it can be anything kind of, but like that idea of, of finding spiritual meaning is actually like at the center of this thing that cures mm. personality disorders, which mm. is really, really, really cool. So with just a, a few minutes that we have left, can, can yeah. you, um, can you talk about uh, your work with trans youth in, um, because, you know, one of the things that that you talked about is, is like, you know, there's, there's a significantly high suicide rate amongst trans youth. There's, Mm -hmm. uh, or maybe it's just trans people in general. Um, trans youth too. Okay. Maybe more especially actually. Okay. 
So what is it that, um, how are you engaging and, and what is the work that you're doing there? Yeah, so a few different things. Like right now, my main work is I've been like an informal, like not through any org- organization, an informal mentor hmm. um, for quite some time, like for like the last decade or so um, because of my uh, working in the poetry scene. Um, when I Got started it. hosting Broken Mike as an out non-binary person, the non-binary kids came in droves. Mm. Like they were so stoked to see themselves reflected by the art scene. They just came out um, literally and figuratively. Um, So like the, I mean, the big thing I've done recently is just being an informal mentor for the last several years for several different youth. Um, You know, I tend to be a, on, I, I tend to be one of the crisis response people that, mm. uh, you know, the kids who know me tend to call, like when they're feeling really bad, when things are getting too bad or when their mental health is tanked. Um, before that, I had, before doing that, I had worked for about nine months for Odyssey Youth Movement. Um, and I had a, uh, uh, a, program a leadership program for queer for queer youth that I was running there so the motivation from that kind of bled into my work with the poetry scene and I was like I can't not help these kids yeah. like so like incur like encouraging them in poetry probably I didn't have the best boundaries in terms of like letting any of them call me at any time of day <laughs> you know <laughs> Being sure. like 2 a.m texting about like you know, relationship stuff or suicidal ideation, whatever's coming up. Yeah, um, yeah, and, that's yeah, yeah. Really, and like all that work in the po- in the poetry scene. Um, when I came to the realization from my own mental health stuff that I wanted to be a counselor, that was also motivated by having entry level jobs in the social work world. Like for instance, I worked at a shelter staff at Crosswalk Teen Shelter for like six months. Um, which was like the heart, the hardest job anyone could ever mm. have. Like yeah. anyone who stays there for longer than six months is like a saint. It's pretty hard to do. Mm. Um, and like, it was really rough for the trans kids there too. Cause a lot of the staff like just weren't prepared with the knowledge of how to respect them and how to sure. deal with them. Um, and as shelter staff, I had no power to help them with anything except give them a bar of soap. Mm. And that sucked because I felt like I had these natural skills to help. Um, but I but I wasn't in a position where I could use them. Mm. And so when I finally realized I wanted to be a counselor, I was like, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. This is how I can help. I can actually go and get a degree and get like more concrete skills mm. and actually be the person that they can come to like yeah, yeah, yeah. perfect like professionally yeah. um which is really what I want to do now so while I'm like still a mentor and especially any parents I know that have a kid that comes out like I'm one of the first people <laughs> to be like oh my god Fitz help me like yeah my child is queer what do I do yeah like, everything will be fine um <laughs> so uh so that's the whole thing but yeah now I'm I'm really more focused on in in my graduate program and that's really what I want to take my counseling practice to is I want to give like I want to give back to the LGBT community for one but also like that's a concrete thing I can do to like help with the suicide crisis among trans youth is to be a therapist because like they're like some of the, the highest seeking help population 
So they just need people to show up who have been where they are and who can say with confidence that uh, that things can get better and that they can get better. Yeah. And like can say not just that like, oh, like, oh, I understand you, but can say like, oh, I've completely been there. Like I like, yeah, it's really, really important. I think for any marginalized group to have access to therapists that look like them. Mm. Like, I think, I think that's huge. And I didn't have that. And my therapists were were still amazing, but I had to teach each and every one of them about my pronouns um, and about my identity. And I would love to be a therapist where like a trans kid can come in and just, they don't have to do that. They can skip all that and get right to the good stuff. Cause it's, it's all still so very new, right? I mean, yeah, in, in reality, here, yeah. our yeah, our dealing with it in society is in our understanding and our, you know, the the freedoms that are very slowly growing. You know, it's just all so new. Um, and, and so I, I'm I'm wondering in that, you know, I you know I I usually ask my three questions. I asked you, yeah. you know, my three questions last time, and I, I kind of just yeah. want to jump to the last question because it's, you know, you you said something there that, um, that you know, kids that are going through this transition, um, they they need somebody who looks like them. They need somebody who who gets it on a gut level. It, is there a way for those with my lenses? to be allies to the young trans community um, because I don't get what they're going through, right? but I can love, you know, yeah. I, I can, I can say, you know, it, but is it better to, I don't know. I don't want to infuse anything into it. I just want to ask, is, is there a way yeah. for us to be appropriate allies um, not understanding at all? Absolutely. Like half the things that I do to make trans youth comfortable are skills that anyone can learn, which is simply like asking and using pronouns is huge. Mm. Like just saying like, I see you and I respect you and I validate that this is your experience. Yeah. Um, like, you know, li- you know, listening loud- louder than you talk. That's yeah huge it's absolutely like any anyone can be an ally to trans youth um you know in the same way that like I as a white person want to be an ally to my friends of color I can't say to them oh yeah I get I get what racism is like because I don't but I can say to them like like wow that's terrible that that happened to you I completely believe that that happened to you um and I will like educate the people around me to not treat you that way sure you know it's um yeah like most of being an ally is skills that you can learn like that, like learning how to listen, learning how to use pronouns. Um, and, you know, and I think it's always good for anyone to go through some kind of like, uh, uh, what, it, what is it called? Like emergency mental health training, uh, like mental health first aid training is a thing that exists oh, out oh. in the world. I think it's super useful for anyone who knows anyone who's depressed, but also if you work with trans youth, um, if they're in your circle, like like going through like a mental health first aid training, because then because like anyone can help in a crisis response situation. You know, it doesn't have to be me as like a trans therapist. Like, where would I find this training? 
You probably just have to Google it. I know that it exists in the world. I think it even exists for free. (laughs) Um, Like I've kind of gone through my own versions of it being in a, being in a graduate program. Sure. And that's kind of where I heard that that exists. Um, I'm going to look that up and I'm going to put it in the show notes for everyone. Yes. That is a, that is a thing that I think anyone could do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, it's also like, it's not just therapists who are a part of keeping of like helping with mental health. Like it's a community problem, like mental health issues for anyone. And like the more that we all educate ourselves on that, on mental health in general, the more that we can like really sit there with people, with people who are struggling, like, you yeah. know, like not saying like, Oh, you'll be fine. Like, that's not a, like right, if someone's right, like, right. I, like I want to die saying like, stop it. Like that doesn't do anything. Right. Like there are ways that we can engage with people who are, sure. who are feeling that way that help like bring them back down from the ledge. And yeah, yeah. that's like the thing with teenagers is that they're impulsive. Um, that's like a thing that teen, the teenagers just have to deal with having teenage brains. Yeah. Um, which is why that number is so high for them and so scary. Um, and that's like a huge part of just sitting with them and being like, okay, your feelings are really big and let's see if we can like walk them back just enough to get you through the next hour, you yeah, know, yeah. like learning those kinds of skills is amazing. Mm. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And, and again, it's something that, we can do, you mm-hmm. know, where we, we don't have to just sit around twiddling our thumbs or being like, you know, Hey, I'm not against you. You know, we can, yeah. <laughs> we can be actively <laughs> for, right. Um, yeah. which I think is so, so very important. Um, especially today in our wild environment. That, you know, what a wild environment. Right. Indeed. right. Yes. Well, Fitz, I, man, I just, again, it feels like the time has just flown by. I mean, this is, yeah. it's been so much fun talking with you and, and you just being so open in, in sharing your life and, and your, and your lenses that are so different than mine, you know, it's, um, that, uh, it's, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. I so appreciate you coming back for a second conversation. I really appreciate the opportunity. I had so much fun and it's really meaningful for for me too. And you make, you create a really uh, welcoming environment. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's so awesome. All right. We'll say goodbye to everybody then. Thank you. Bye everybody.